Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. And Father, even as we have sung, Lord, we want to confess, Lord, so many times we don't follow your leading. We want to do our own thing. Forgive us, Father, for being so self-built, O Lord. But Lord, we want to stay in that straight and narrow path. We want to hear your voice. We want to walk in your ways. Therefore, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to teach us your ways. Show us your paths. Continue to, Lord, unpack your word and unravel your mysteries to us. The mysteries of the kingdom. Because you said to your disciples, O Lord, that, Lord, to us it was given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, it is all parables. Lord, we don't want to be a set of people who are outside. We want to be your people who are inside, inside your kingdom. And therefore, we want to continuously submit to the authority and the government of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But because we have entered into our twelfth year, and Lord, we want to have an increase of your government in our lives, O Lord. We want to come under the authority of your Holy Spirit, the authority of your word in our lives. To that end, I pray, Lord, you would establish us, O Lord, and every meeting of ours, every meditation of our lives, of our, of our, of ours, of ours, O Lord, and every teaching session, O Lord, that you would continue to minister to us, O Lord, and establish us, O Lord, and establish us, Father, in, in, in your kingdom, and that your government, O Lord, would increase in our lives. To that end, I pray that you would anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright. So let's turn, uh, before we turn, to turn our Bibles to the passage that we have for today, uh, I want us to, I want us, I want us to just recap what we've uh, heard last time when we gathered together on a Wednesday, uh, not on a Sunday. Uh, we talked about birthing warriors. Yeah, we talked about two women. Uh, it was not recorded. It will definitely be available to you in the latter days. In the latter days, literally, uh, whenever uh, God gives us an opportunity to hear. So we talked about two women. We talked about uh, Manoah's wife and we talked about Hannah birthing, birthing warriors and how uh, one of the warriors failed and how the other uh, accomplished God's purpose in his life. So we, we learned several lessons, uh, but today uh, I just want us to look at one verse but before I, I go there. I, wanna, I just wanted to give, our, uh, give a title for today's teaching and meditation. I'm calling it, When Do Warriors Quit? Okay, that is the title of today's sermon. Uh, please, therefore, turn with my turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm seventy-eight, verse nine. Psalm seventy-eight, verse nine. And we're going to stay here in the Psalm today, um, and we'll go back and forth through several verses. Psalm seventy-eight, verse nine. Primarily, I'm going to read it from my uh, translation, and you can follow it in your own uh, translation as well. It says. <clears throat> The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows. Yet they turned their back in the day of battle. Okay? That's, that's the verse that we want to look at as a launching pad. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with, equipped with bows. Yet they turned back in the day of battle. Why did they do that? Is a question. Why did warriors quit? I mean, it, when, I, when I looked at this verse, I was reminded of a, a, a kind of an analogy, right? Uh, just ex- assume that we have a mathematics exam tomorrow and a lot of geometry in that. 
Okay, lot of geometry. So what do we have? We, are, we have our geometry box ready. Okay, so we pester our parents to buy us a new geometry box for tomorrow's exam. Yeah, so what do we have? We have a geometry box, we have the protractor, we have the scale, we have the two uh, set squares, 60 degrees, 40 degrees set squares and we have the compass and we have the brand new divider, we have a pencil sharpened, we have the eraser and we have the sharpener, everything ready and the box is perfect, perfectly equipped and then when we go to the exam and we come back with a zero. Okay, now when we come back home with a zero, what do we say? We don't complain that the geometry box gave up. The problem was not with the geometry box. The problem was with us. Okay, I mean, because in engineering, for the first year we are taught engineering drawing. Oh my goodness, we used to work till late nights with our compasses and with our, with our, with our, uh, with our equipment for a 45 minute exam. So that, um, and, and it's one of the toughest exams in engineering, the first year. It's called engineering drawing and it's not easy, right? So, uh, this is like, it's just like this, no? The, the Ephraimites were equipped with all the bows and arrows and the day of battle they turned back. So the question is, who are these Ephraimites and why did they turn back? Okay. No, uh, in, in Proverbs, there's a verse in Proverbs which says uh, that uh, on the day of battle, if you fail, your strength is very small. And, and here it uses a word, very very interesting word, it's called, it turned their backs or turned back. No, uh, they became what we call in English a turncoat. What is a turncoat? Example, Shatrugan Sinha. I mean, for those of you who have been following uh, our great Indian politics, it's a turncoat. Suddenly, no, suddenly, what, what, what is it? Who is a turncoat? A turncoat is a guy, he was fighting for one cause and suddenly he becomes disloyal to the party that he was in and suddenly he finds the other party more interesting and he goes on to the other side and starts for fighting for the latter party, fighting against the latter party. Okay, that's a turncoat. A very similar expression over here. Um, a guy who was changed. A Ephraimite who was changed. No, uh, lest you think it is only called talking about the tribe of Ephraim. No, it is not talking about the tribe of Ephraim. It's a, it's a special word which is, which is given to a label which is given to the children of Israel. So let me just introduce this guy Ephraim to you. Who this Ephraim is so that we will put this whole thing in context. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21. It's a very, very interesting verse. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21 and sudden, somebody, some, one of you can read it in whatever translation that you have. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21. Jacob, yeah. he was dying. Mm-hmm. Each one of the sons of Joseph. Mm-hmm. And worship, leaning on the top of his staff. Beautiful. Look at this. By faith, Jacob, while he was dying, bless the who? Each of the sons of who? Joseph. You, you need to understand. I know we know that Hebrews chapter eleven is got the is called the the great faith chapter, and he's talking about all the heroes of faith, ordinary people who were the heroes of faith. Yeah. No. No. The writer of the book of Hebrews, or the Holy Spirit, in this, whoever the writer is, we don't know, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when recording a particular episode, which would signify that Jacob was a man of faith, of all the things that happened in Jacob's life, 
He chose one particular incident. And what is that particular incident? Yeah? Blessing who? The sons of Joseph, not the, no, not the sons of Jacob, the sons of Joseph. Now that is very, very, very interesting. Now turn, now I'm gonna read it, you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 48 and I'm gonna look at this in context to understand who this Ephraim is, okay? <clears throat> and, and in your Bibles, which if you have the KJV, it's beautiful, it'll, 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 uh, it'll show you the play on words. Now we are gonna be introduced to, uh, how the Holy Spirit changes Words from Jacob to Israel, Israel to Jacob. It's very interesting. Okay. So let me read it from Genesis chapter 48. Okay. So be very sensitive. Whenever you say Israel, you just let your ears be like oh, big. Okay. Let, let's, let me read it from in my Bible. Okay. Just give me a minute. Uh, yeah. Genesis 48. Now it came to pass, this is verse 1 onwards. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed your father is sick. And he took with him two, uh, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And what? Israel. Now, that's remarkable, isn't it? Suddenly from Jacob to there's a change. In Israel, strengthened himself and sat upon his bed. He was dying. This is the, this is the incident that is being, uh, uh, is being alluded to. Okay. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz and the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who are born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. You got that everybody? Okay. So that they will inherit the land. And verse 8. Look at this. Then Israel, it's not Jacob. Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Did he see? Yes, he saw. And then he says, Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and kissed them and embraced them. And Israel, who said? Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has shown me your offspring. Okay, has shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them back to his knees and he bowed down with his face on the earth and Joseph took them both Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand. And what did Israel do? Stretched his hands. And look at what it says in verse 20. So he blessed them. By you, Israel will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Now, what does it mean? It's very simple. It means, first thing, who is Ephraim? Ephraim is the son of promise or the son of the covenant or the son of faith. First thing. Okay. Second thing. Because he is the son of promise, he is the son of covenant, he is the son who is going to inherit what? The firstborn inherits what? The double portion. Okay. He is the guy who has been given these special privileges, spiritual privileges, not physical privileges, spiritual privileges. It's like this, no? If you, if you remember in the book of Romans, it says, um, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. But before it says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, he says, 
Isaac, in whom will be your seed called? In Isaac, your seed will be called. Not in Ishmael. Ishmael is the firstborn. God rejects Ishmael, accepts Isaac. Similarly, who is the firstborn? Jacob or Esau? Esau is the firstborn, but God rejects Jacob and, uh, sorry, uh, rejects uh, Esau and accepts Jacob as the firstborn. The firstborn inheritance or the double portion anointing is given to Jacob. What does it mean? It simply means this. This guy, Ephraim, was chosen of God to represent God to his generation. Okay? And to be the one who is going to be the one who is going to distribute the inheritance among his brothers. He's going to be teaching. He's going to be the spiritual, what do you say? The heir of what God has promised in his life. Or in, 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 so it's, it's for every one of us. Now, for example, if you turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 17, you'll see this verse very, very clearly in your Bible. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. Okay. If, if heirs, it says what? We, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs together with, that's remarkable, isn't it? The heirs together with Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the firstborn. He is the anointed one. So who does, what does Ephraim signify? It signifies a person or the church or we people who are actually born again into the kingdom of God and for our first life is rejected. Who is accepted? The first Vijay is rejected. The second Vijay who is born of the spirit is accepted and that person he's talking about. And the point here is this, that Ephraim, what has happened? He turned back on the day of battle. That's the point here. That Ephraim who is supposed to, now think about it, no? Jesus, did he conquer the powers of darkness? Absolutely. And if we are co-heirs with Jesus, we should also be able to do that. That's what he said. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome. The, he says the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. He took it out of the way and he disarmed principalities and powers of darkness and he made them a public spectacle. So Jesus was the one who was victorious. And how can we, being co-heirs with Christ, be defeated on the day of battle? It's a question. How we can? How can we turn our backs and go away? That's a question that we need to ask. Okay. So. Let us look at this psalm and glean a few things. It starts as Psalm 78. Let me turn, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78 verse 1. Very interesting introduction. Uh, you know what it's called in your Bibles if you have your KJV or other renderings. It says a mashkil of David. Oh sorry, a mashkil, a psalm of Asaph. Okay, a mashkil. A mashkil means a poem of contemplation. Okay, see a lot of songs... For example, we sang the song, right? You're beautiful beyond description. And I stand in awe of you. It's a kind of a contemplation, you know? You're contemplating upon the majesty of God, right? This is a very similar song. It's a song of meditation or contemplation. Think. You know, there are psalms in the hymnal. Not the Methodist hymnal. Okay. In our, our, our hymnal, our authorized hymnal, which talk about a song which we have to contemplate upon, think about, even when we sing. So this is essentially a meditation that you can do in your own in your own in your own private time. So meditation. Who's a, who is a singer? Singer is Mr. Asaph. Okay. Now, very interesting person. Who is Asaph? What does Asaph mean? Okay. I'll tell you something. Asaph means a person who gathers. Who said that? 
Okay. So you're doing you're doing the transcript, obviously. So just kidding. <laughs> so Asaph is a one. He's, he's a collector or gatherer. He is the one who is interested in the harvest of souls. You understand? He is the one who is interested in the harvest of souls. That's what, that's what Jesus says. Behold, the harvest is white and the laborers are few. What should he do? Pray to the Lord of harvest that he shall send laborers into the vineyard so that they shall what? Gather. You see? Gather together. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 12 verses 22 to 30. You'll, you'll see this context. And also maybe Luke's gospel chapter 11 verses. Maybe Luke's, Luke 11, 20 to 23. Three verses, four verses we can see. Luke 11, 20 to 23 in your Bibles. Quickly. But when the stronger than uh-huh. comes upon him, yeah. him, yes. he takes from him all his armor. Which translation is that? I'm sorry. In Kishib, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. And divides his voice. Yes. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Ah, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now think about it. Now think about it. Ephraim was supposed to be the person who should gather. What is he doing now? He says, okay, I'm not, for, not, I'm not with you God, but I'm not against you also. No. The moment you say you are not with God, automatically you are against God. It's always binary. One and zero. Okay. Either you are totally for God or you are totally against God. No middle ground. Okay. So, this is very interesting. So, let's move on. Let's read this now. I'm going to read it in my Bible. So, uh, this is the mashkel or the contemplation of Asaph. Give your, oh my people, to my teaching. Other translations, doctrine or uh, any other word. Equivalent word. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Look at this. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established his testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. That the next generation, you see that? That the next generation might know them. Children yet unborn and arise and tell them their children. You see that? Incredible, no? How many generations God is thinking about? How many generations? At least four. Okay, that's what he told uh, told Timothy. The things that you heard from me, first generation, things that you heard. Who's that? Timothy, second generation. Entrusted to faithful men third generation, who will be able to teach mothers also, four generations. So one of the things that I realized is in my life, if I am not walking, if I'm just not walking my Christian life for my own sake, okay, I'm not even walking my Christian life for the sake of my church. I'm actually walking my Christian life for my sake and also for the sake of my children. You need to understand there's an immediate Effect in the lives of our children, especially if you are believing children. You make a stand for God and you don't make a stand for God. It is not going to affect not only your generation, it is going to affect the next. Think about it. Now think about it. Think about it. How many of us when we are growing up thought, thought like this? Thought like that. 
when we have several several people from different different age groups over here, right? When your children were born, did you think that your walk with the Lord is going to be supposed to influence your children? Why are you in? Uh, why are you wanting the, to walk with the Lord? Not only because for your generation, you are thinking about the next generation, which your children are, are going to bear, and the next generation, four generations at least, four generations. That is the reason why it says, "I will in, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers to the children up to the what generation." Third and the fourth generation. You see, we don't walk our life, Christian life on our, for our own. We, we are looking at our children. And you see, every decision that you make. My goodness, I see it in my own life, no? Casual attitude, if I have towards things, I see that immediately being transmitted to my children. I mean, I don't even have to teach them. If I have casual attitude towards something, they will immediately have casual attitude toward it. If I neglect prayer at home, they will also say, ah, dad didn't pray, why should I pray? If I am not fired up for God, they will not be fired up for God. If I don't take God seriously, they will not be taking God seriously. You need to understand, when we are walking with the Lord, it is just not for our own sake. We are thinking about second, third, fourth generation. You think that you are walking your life for your own sake? No. There are so many people, you, whether you like it or not, who are looking and watching you and are being influenced by you. Third, fourth generation. Okay, let's move on. And then, I'm, re- I'm going to read it. Uh, and they, sh- uh, so that they should not, they, that their next generation might know, verse 6, that their next generation might know them and their children yet unborn and arise and Tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in where? Whom? In God. You, you need to understand. Psalm 42. Why, do, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Next verse. Put your hope in God. Let, let me tell you. Most of us get discouraged because our hope has moved from God to something else. Discouragement is a direct Relationship is directly proportional to where our hope is. Okay. God does not change. Therefore, if you put your hope in God, will your, will your rock change? No. The moment you change your hope from God, if it, the moment your relationship with God is affected, your life will naturally be a depressed life. You know, Martin Lloyd Jones wrote a book, one whole book called Spiritual Depression. Okay. That's a, that's the title of the book. And you know, on what he based his entire thesis on? Psalm 42 verse 1 and 2. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you depressed? And most believers, we struggle because we do not put our hope in God. And he says, you don't put your hope in God, your children will not put their... Now think about it, no? Think about it. Now, I always keep asking myself this question. Okay, do I really want my children to be godly only or I want my children to be godly and... You think about it. Okay. For example, Abigail. Do I want my Abigail to be godly? That's it, Lord. She has to be godly. Nothing else matters. Or, Lord, she has to be godly and also smart in math. She should be godly and, Lord, she has to live, no? She is good at mathematical skills. She will get a job. I don't want a daughter who's a dum-dum. No. 
Think about it. Because what do you really, really, really deep down inside you, your heart you desire for your children? That's exactly what you will choose for them. You see that? What What is your hope? Your hope is reflected on what you make choices for your children. <laughs> see? Absolutely. Yes? She is reciprocated with the laughter too. You see? What you, what your hope is, if you think, Baba, what will happen if they don't study? Okay. If that is, if education is your hope, if job is your hope, that's exactly what you will, even in GTLC you can be pursuing that. Actually, that's what I thought. Even in my own life I was looking at it. Lord, GTLC has to prove to the world. What? One day I'm going to send them to Mathematics Olympiad. <laughs> they should prove to the world from children from GTLC are 10 times better. And God is telling you, is that your hope? Why are you running? See, put your hope in God alone. A-L-O-N-E. Okay, understand that. Alright, so I, I, I'm, I'm not going to delve too much. We are, we are going to look at why Ephraim quit, right? Let's Let's read on. And uh, that they should not, so, but not forget the works of the, okay, that they, verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers. You see, one of the reasons why God gives us both parent, father and mother is because we are people without experience. And most of the times, what your parents will say is that, don't make the mistakes that I made. Okay. Babu. Love Baba Im Led Babu. Adanta Ushushkaki. There is nothing called, oh, love. No. I am telling you honestly. It's true. Ultimately, whether you love God or not is important. Okay, let me show you. Turn first, first Peter. First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and verse, uh, verse, 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 uh, excuse me, just, uh, I just, uh, forget the verse. Were, no, 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 where the vain conversation that we have in, okay, verse 18, verse 17 and 18. Okay, look at this, what it says. Ah, yeah, read on. Since you call on a father. Mm-hmm. Since you call on a father, thank God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Live as here in mm-hmm. Perishable thing. Ah, empty vein of life that I have been handed from, from your forefathers. There is a vain conversation, vain way of life. Uh, KJ will use the word vain conversation that you have inherited from your forefathers. It is vain. If any path your forefathers have chosen in which there, there is no God, that is a vain path. Do you believe that? All the trajectories that your forefathers have taken where they have not factored in God, it has come out of a debased mind. Do you know that? What 
whatever decision and 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 path that you have taken where you have not factored in god it has actually come out of a debased mind let me prove that to you please romans chapter 1 before i say anything let's let god be true and every man a liar romans chapter 1 and if you, if, uh, let me see your translation. I'll read it from my translation. Let me see. Uh, KJV authorized version. And uh, verse 28. Somebody read it. Yeah. Furthermore, uh-huh. since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Ah, I like that. Because they did not think God was worthwhile. Oh, he gave them over to a debased mind. Any, any other translation? Okay, let me read it in my translation. Okay, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. My goodness. Because they did not see it fit to acknowledge God. What has happened? God gave them over to a... In other words, every decision that you have taken wherein you have not factored in God has come up from a... Debased mind. Think about it, my dear brothers and sisters. Think about it. So that they should set their hope in God. And let's go back to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And do not forget his works, but keep his commandments. That they should not be like their forefathers. How are their forefathers? He's going to give them, give beautiful adjectives for the forefathers. Ah, they were a stubborn, rebellious generation whose heart was not steadfast and in whose whose spirit was not faithful to God. You think about it. Four things about our forefathers. Four things they were a stubborn faith people. Second thing they were not a they were a rebellious people. That means they were bent upon their ways. Third thing it says that they were a people who were not faithful, steadfast in their heart. Their heart was not right. And fourth thing they were not loyal to God in their spirit. You see, the one of the very, very important aspects that pastor keeps telling, you know, every time I go for mentorship for him, he says, Vijay, one of the most important things in Christendom, in the kingdom of God is loyalty. A spirit of loyalty. Serve God with a perfect heart and a willing mind. That's what he told. And you know that actually the, the translation is, serve God with a steadfast heart and with a loyal spirit. Whom, whom did he tell it to? David told Solomon and it's exactly what he did not do. Four things. A stubborn, rebellious, no steadfastness. Their heart is always movable and there was spirit. That is the reason why, you know what, you know what, how does Paul, when he ministers, you know how he says, when he writes his gospel, when he speaks, look at what it says in one, Romans chapter 1. I, I love this man because he is totally biblical. No, His mind is scriptural. We need to have a scriptural mind. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 1, please. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Are you there? Verse 9. Look at what it says. For God is my witness... Somebody can complete that. Whom I serve. How? In my spirit. Do you see that? I serve God with my spirit. My spirit is absolutely faithful to God. Understand that. 
Okay, let's go back now. Psalm 78. Now comes the context, the verse which we were looking at. Romans chapter 9, verse, so, 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 sorry, rather, so, so Psalm 78 verse 9. The Ephraim, the sons of Ephraim, the sons of Ephraim, you know who are these. Armed with a bow, turn back on the day of battle. Why did they turn back on the day of battle? Because they were just like their forefathers. This is what is going to happen to them. What did they not do? First, they're going to, uh, and, 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 the, and the writer of the psalm is going to show at least five adjectives and verbs. I mean, verb forms and adjective forms. There are five attitudes or six attitudes, which I'm going to enumerate. There are several attitudes, but five, six repeated, uh, repeated attitudes, which is being mentioned over here. First thing, they did not keep God's, what? Covenant. Okay. Now, let me tell you, this is very important. Okay, very, 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 very important. Christianity is a covenantal relationship with God. It is not contract. Covenant is not convenience. Okay, let me read it to you. What is a covenant? Well, the one man of God made a very interesting statement. Covenant is an intimate relationship which is just not merely personal. Okay. Covenant is an intimate relationship Okay, which is just merely not personal. I mean, it's a personal intimate relationship, which is, which is merely not legal. Okay, it is a legal relationship, which is also personal. It's both. It is a personal relationship. It is a legal relationship. It has got the language of love and it has got the language of law. Both. You see, when Justin and I got married, what did we exchange? Rings. Okay. What is the token of the da 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 that you brought for your would be to your husband? She says a ring, and she says, and she makes a promise with my body, I honor you. All that I have, I give to you. Everything that I have, I share to you. What is this ring? This ring is a significance. It's like this: by giving you this ring, I'm showing you that my entire self belongs to you, and I am making this a legal covenant before. Several witnesses. And it also means that I am going to be bound to you in this covenant even if you, on your part, will not keep the terms of the covenant. I will still be bound to you. Whether you keep your covenant or not. You know, contract means if you do not honor the deeds of the contract, I am going to be tata. No, 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 no. Covenant is not like that. Covenant is something in spite of the other person not completely adhering to the terms of the covenant. You still keep your side of the covenant. That is what he's talking about. Okay. Now, it is both legal and it is both intimate. It is intimate and it is legal. See, what happens? If you take away intimacy, what are you left with? Legalism. Okay, if you take away intimacy, you are left with legalism. If you take away the law, you are left only with intimacy in which you can do anything. Now, let me prove that to you from scripture. Okay, two verses in the Bible. Turn to Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. I want you to read this carefully. One word at a time. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. One word at a time. Yes, Sammy. Be the man. I'm astonished at the translation. I marvel. Okay, your your trans. Okay, please please come. Ah, okay, sister. I am amazed that you are so quickly 
You see, I am astonished that you are deserting not church. Did he say church? No. You are deserting him and then you are going what? You was called you to the grace of Christ to another gospel which is not a gospel. What has happened? You see, you are just forgetting the person. But you said, okay, I'll keep the legal legal part, but I will forget the intimate part. You see, how does uh, falling away happen? Second Timothy, Second Thessalonians chapter two verse three. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse three. It's a very interesting verse. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse three. <clears throat> Yes, 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 sister. Let no one in any way deceive you. Yes. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Kya baat hai? Your translation is fantastic. Unless the apostasy comes first. What is apostasy? Where you are, you are falling away from the person. You have gone out of a relationship. The word used there is the word divorce. You have divorced the person. So, what has happened? You That's exactly what happens to a lot of people. They don't have an intimacy with God, but they have a legal structure. They are all legalists. It's a danger. You, in, in a covenant, you both have the legal part and you have the intimacy part. You have to, see, for example, even in my, in, in our marriages, the most covenant relationship, there is a law, even though we don't speak it. And by that law, you are bound, you are bound by that law. Otherwise, you will be not cut into two. See, that's exactly what happened, right? In those days, when they made a covenant, if it says that, I mean, they, they used to bring animals, they used to divide it into two. Okay. One part on this side, one part on the other side. And both the parties who made the covenant walked between the animals. Saying that, if any one of us breaks the terms for the covenant, what should happen? What happened to this animal should let it happen to us. You understand what I'm saying? So, what God has put together? Ah. Okay. So what happens? Even in a relationship which is intimate, there is an underlying law. What is a law? You dare not show the kind of intimacy that you have with me with anybody else. Period. What you have? No, I mean, say yes, yes, yes. I am not having any other relationship. She, my, your wife will say, "Baba, your laptop and your work and your and your every other thing is taking my time away. My time." I mean, one of the things that my wife uses. You're doing this on Mayra time. Mayra time, Baba. <laughs> you see, that is covenant. There's a law. We share incredible intimacy, but there is a law underlying. So, a covenant relationship has both a law and there is intimacy. You cannot divorce these two together. If you divorce the intimacy, you are left with the law and what you have is legalism. On the other hand, you just get rid of the law and you have only intimacy. What do you have? Turn to Jude chapter 1 or only there is one, one chapter. Jude 1 verse 4. Jude 1 verse 4. And there are certain men who have crept in unawares. Yeah, yeah, go. Who have before foreordained uh-huh. to this condemnation. For condemnation. Ungodly men. Ungodly men. Turning the grace of our God. Turning the grace of our God. 
into lasciviousness or in the licentiousness in other translations. In other words, what are they doing? They're saying, okay, God understands. He's so intimate with us, he understands, Baba. God does not understand. See, there's, you, have, you have both sides. So what has happened to these fellows? Why is there no strength for them in battle? Why are they quitting? Because they don't understand that they have actually made a covenant with God. They are actually, either they are glorifying the legal part or they are glorifying the intimacy part. But covenant is a mystery. That is the reason why Paul says, it is a mystery. It's a mystery. I, and I'm not talking about uh, the, the husband and wife relationship. I'm talking about Christ and his church, and he says, it is not just an ordinary mystery. What is a what mystery? It is a dash mystery. It is a great mystery. Mega mystery. Marriage is a mega mystery. Right, Shrikant? <laughs> okay, mega mystery. We are still trying to know and understand the mysteries of... You bachelors don't know. Only Paul knew. He also knew birth pranks, Baba. Without getting married. That is how Paul, it is only possible with Paul. Why? Why was Paul such a tremendously single man who understood covenant? You know why? Because of his statement. Romans chapter 1 verse 1. Look at what he says. Romans chapter 1 verse 1. Roman 1 1. Okay. Paul. How does it start? Paul. A bond servant of Jesus Christ. Called to be an apostle. And then what? separated for the gospel, set apart for the gospel of God. That is what he says. You know what? I have forsaken every other thing in my life and I'm totally, 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 totally set apart for whom? Gospel of God. Okay? Which he has promised. Okay? Which he has promised in the scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness through whom we have received what? Grace and apostleship to what? To obedience. You see, he had the intimacy part and he also had the legal part because he was obeying the terms of the covenant that he made with God. What did, what was he called to be? He was called to be an apostle. And he was fulfilling that ministry to the best of his ability. Absolutely a man who knew what he was. You know, and you know what? You're all set apart for God. You're all set apart. You know what it says? Your children are set apart. You know, Sikhan? Even if one of the spouses is a believing spouse, your children are set apart. It says the unbelieving spouse sanctifies the believing, uh, uh, the, the, the believing spouse sanctifies the unbelieving uh, spouse. Otherwise, your children are what? Unclean. But now they are what? Holy. What does it mean? Set apart. Set apart. Understand this. There are two sides in, in, your, in your life. There is an intimate side and there is a law side. Both is what a covenant means. You have to have both. That is the reason why it says, the fear of God is the beginning of understanding of, of, of wisdom. And the next one, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of God, he says, Lord, I know you're holy. I know that you're, you're righteous. Therefore, I fear you. And what has happened? If you fear him, he will reveal himself to you. What is that? Knowledge. What is knowledge? An, in, an understanding of God is nature through a relationship. The Lord knoweth the way of, of the, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. What is that word knowing? That word, the word knowing is yada, which means intimate. Adam knew Eve and they conceived. So that is the first thing. First thing is that 
they forgot that they had a covenantal relationship with God. You need to understand this is so significant. Significant. Okay? What does it mean? I will meet your needs irrespective of whether you fulfill my needs or not. Whom are you saying this to? You'll say, yes, Jesus said this to us. That is the reason why he put Abraham to deep sleep and he went went, uh, and because he knew that he will not be able to keep the terms of the covenant. Is that really true? Is that really true? It, It doesn't mean that we are not, we're just free. We can do anything. And God, grace will cover. No. You know what we are actually saying, God? Lord, yes, you promised me so many things in your Bible. Even if those promises doesn't happen in this life, I will still follow you. That is covenantal relationship. That is faith. Okay. You don't believe me? Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11. Here you know. You are thinking scripture. Praise God. You have been taught in GTC. For 11 years? <laughs> Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 35 to 40. Women received their dead again to life. Others were tortured. Are you? Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mocking and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn into two, they were tempted, uh, were tempted, were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves and the earth. And all these things having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the what? They did not receive a promise. But what is the covenant? I made you a promise. But did they receive the promise? No. But did they still keep the terms of the covenant? Yes. Why? Verse 40. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Because they were looking for something better. See? That is the reason why when you serve God, you don't need to have any appreciation. What did we do, Lord? Something which we are supposed to do. We are unworthy, unprofitable servants. See, that is covenant. That is covenant. <laughs> you see, that is the reason why all things work together for the good of those who love God. Now, let me show you the context of that verse. No? T- turn to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Are you there? And uh, let me show you the verses from verses 31 onwards. 31 onwards. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 onwards. Look at what it says. What shall we say of these things? If God be for us, who can be? Against us. Yes. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? What can separate us from the... Uh, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died for us. Raised again. Who seated at the right hand, right hand of the Father. Interceding for us. And verse 35. Who shall separate us? You see that? A covenant coming there again. Separate us from the love of God. Who? Tribulation? Oh, he promised that. Distress? Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as it is written, for your sake. <laughs> we have been killed all day long. And we have been considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that's exactly what is happening to so many people in the, in the persecuted nations. In the front line of the battlefield. They have been persecuted. They have been considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but they never quit. Why? You know what he's saying? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. 
because now Paul is quoting this from Psalm 44, and this is again a Psalm of, I think it's a, a Sons of Korah, actually, I think. Sons of Korah, where, you know what Korah says, if you look at the context, I'm not going to uh, go into the Psalm, it says, Sons of Korah says, Lord, you have been with us, you gave us victories, and all these things we enjoyed, but now you're not going with us for warfare anymore. We are being defeated. Our enemies are mocking us. And what do you think in the Psalms? What is the next thing? God has forsaken us because of our sin. But you know what? Immediately the next the next next verse, what the psalmist says, Lord, if you have actually forgotten your covenant, I can understand what I'm going through. But for your sake, I am being killed all day long. Old Testament saints could not understand what this covenant is all about. But you in the you and I in the New Testament, you know what? We say, Lord, I come to you, no expectations. Emil is expectation. Iste happy. happy. If you give me, I'm happy. If you don't give me, I'm happy. Both ways I'm happy. I'm content to be full. I'm content to be empty. In all things I have learned to be, whatever situation I am in, I am content. You know why? Because I have a covenantal relationship with you. That is the reason why he says in the Philistines, in the book of Philippines, you know what he says? My God shall supply your need, Baba. My God. Achal. My God. Alright. Let's move on. So, what you are saying in a covenant is you are saying, Lord, forsaking all, I cling to you no matter what. You know, it's like this, no one guy falls in love with this girl. Okay. Even if you say, Chi, go, I'll still cling to you. There's only one man who did that in the entire Bible, at least to me, in the Old Testament. You know who that follows? Pastor Job. Even if you slay me, I will still worship you. Kya baat hai? Kya baat hai? You even if you say, Chi! I will cling to you. I don't have anywhere to go, Lord. Clinging to you. That is covenant. And we say that to our girlfriends and boyfriends. You say that to your Lord. You will never regret it in your life. That is the reason why hope in God. Alright. Let's move on. What does it mean? You are putting every relationship under the relationship of God. That means God's relationship with God takes precedence above every relationship. Matthew chapter 10 please, verse 37 to 39. Matthew chapter 10 please, verse 37 to 39. What, what, is it, what does it say? Somebody can read it quickly. Ah, if you love mommy, papa, more than God, what will my mother say? What will my papa say? What will my wife say? It's amazing. I won't remember this now. When the first time when I, when I told my, my friend who was like in my college, college day friend, I called him up and I said, Anil, Anil B, okay. Anil, I, I'm just, I finished my PhD now. Okay, what are you doing now? I become a pastor. Your parents are okay. <laughs> uh, the first thing, I said, Baba, what a, what a, what a, what a revelation of my parents. I mean, just, <laughs> just kidding. It's amazing, you see. You see how, how the world looks at serving God. Amazing. No other relationship comes first. Shikant, understood? No other relationship. 
Shri can. Okay, not can't. He can. Okay. <laughs> Our Shri can't smoke, but he and he messed up. You know I'm talking, whom I'm talking about. Okay. So, so don't forget that. You have a covenant relationship, meaning every other relationship comes secondary. Every other relationship. Let me tell you something. Even if it is in the church, you have a relationship which is kind of above God. Boss, be very careful. Okay, be very careful. Okay, so keep God first. All right, let's move on. Next, what else do they do? There are other words. They did not keep His covenant. And uh, the next verse, uh, Proverbs. Sorry, so let me go back to Psalm seventy-eight <clears throat> and verse. Uh, they forgot. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm going to come to. They forgot His works and the wonders that He has shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud. In the night, with a fiery light, he split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink. And abundantly, as from the deep, he made streams to come up from the rock and caused waters to flow down from the rivers. And they forgot all of this. What is this? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10. Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We know this very well. We've looked at this verse and Atlante, we are like squeezing this verse. No? We are like literally squeezing and getting every drop that we can from this verse. First, First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 onwards. 1 to, four, 1 to 3. 1 to 4. Ah, ignorant brothers. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. You see that? Oh, they were all under the cloud. Ah, they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses. In the cloud and in the sea. Spiritual drink, the food, uh huh. Okay. Yes. Mm hmm. With, with most of them, and they all perished in the wilderness. Okay, this is exactly what is happening. What is this? What are they forgetting over here? First thing, what happens is this, you know, in, in, uh, let, I'll show it in the context, okay, uh, uh, certain things which, which you can look at here. See, this is talking about your, in, in figuratively your baptism, okay, baptism, okay. What is baptism? Baptism is, is essentially identifying with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, okay. What does death signify? Meaning, you sinned, you were supposed to die, but you are acknowledging that you are supposed to die, but God died in your place. Okay? Second thing, when you come out of the waters of baptism, what are you supposed to do? You are supposed to walk in the newness of life. Romans chapter 6 will say that. Okay? Death, burial and resurrection. Identifying with the death, burial and resurrection, death for sin. Now, now, what are you going to do? You are going to overcome sin in your life and walk in newness of life. That is what it means. Very simple. Where is it tested the most? Where is forgetting, where does forgetting happen the most? Okay, let me show that to you. Uh, turn to, uh, so it, Matthew chapter, sorry, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender hearted. Okay, ten, okay, so look at it. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. Why? For, for, even as God in Christ's sake has forgiven. That is baptism in a nutshell. What should you be? Tender hearted. 
you know, <laughs> Josh, where's George? He's inside. Okay, George. George, George and we were all discussing. And one of the things he said after, after, after the Sunday sermon, he said, Pastor has become so compassionate. I said, that is true. But his word is always strong. But he's compassionate on the other side though. One of the parameters that you gauge that you're walking and growing in the Lord is when you become tender-hearted, kind, compassionate toward others. Look at this. When you speak to somebody, does kindness come out? When you speak to somebody, do they feel invited? Or do they feel condemned? When you speak to somebody, do they want to come to you or do they want to run away from you? Jesus was, I mean, Pastor used to give this example. He said, Jesus was the most holy man on the face of the earth who has ever lived. But it says the sinners. Isn't that amazing? What was he doing? He was judging their sin, but he was absolutely compassionate toward them. You see, one of the ways that you will, you will gauge whether you're, whether you've become forgetful or not, is when you forget how forgiving and long-suffering and kind and forbearing God was toward you. David Tripp. Paul David Tripp. Look at what he says. To the degree that you forget the grace that has been given to you, to the same degree you will not extend the grace towards others. To the same degree. In other words, when you have a condemning judgmental attitude toward others, but you never look at your own heart, You will never be tender hearted. You know the more you look at your own heart. The more compassionate you will be toward others. Let me show this to you. How this comes together. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 2. Okay. Everything is found in book of Romans. And Psalms. Today. Romans chapter 2. No. If you look at Romans chapter 1. It's always talking about the people who are ungodly. They are all pagans. Gentiles. Okay, that's what he has to call <laughs> others. Who are those fellows? Gentiles. What are you? Christian. Okay. Look at what he says. Therefore, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse. Other translations will use. You are inexcusable, O man. Every one of you who judges or, or passes judgment. For in passing judgment on another, what has happened to you? You condemn yourself Okay, because you, the judge, practice the very same things it says. And the next verse is, for we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Or, do you suppose, O man, you who pass judgment on others and practice the very same things that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the goodness, patience, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God is meant to lead you to what? But according to your what? Next word. Hard and unrepentant hard. You see that? When you have forgotten, your heart becomes hard. You are so, so condescending toward others. 
I'll show you an example, okay, of this. Turn, turn, turn with me to Amos. We'll read a few verses. Put this in context. Very interesting read. You would never have read Amos. Uh, let me read it to you for, for once, okay. Amos chapter 1. Uh, if you if you turn to uh, Hosea, turn right and you'll find Amos. Let me read it for you. Few Small chapter. But, sorry, Hosea, Joel, and Amos. Okay. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning, who? Ah. Okay. Concerning Israel. In the days of Hosea, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord rose from Zion, and utters his voice from the, from Jerusalem, and the pastures of the shepherds mourn, and, and, and on the top of the, top of Carmel with us. Thus says the Lord, the three transgressions of Damascus, and four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with the threshing sledges of iron. Who was this people? Are they people of God or are they Gentiles? Gentiles. Okay. So this is like X, X plus one. Three, four. Three plus one. Okay. Next again. Next verse. Uh, chapter six. Uh, chapter one, verse six. For three transgressions of Gaza. And for four, I will not take away the punishment. Who is Gaza? People of God or Gentiles? Gentiles. Very good. Next, next verse. Turn to verse 9. For three transgressions of Tyre. Who's Tyre? Gentiles. And uh, Israel, who's hearing? No, Israel is hearing. Who's, who's, who's speaking? Amos is speaking to Israel and they are like saying, oh, Philistines, those fellows, idol worshippers, Gentiles, they deserve it. Three, three plus one. Yes, Lord. And then, Gaza, three, three plus one. Everybody three three plus one. And again, let's let's look verse eleven. For three transgressions of Edom, who's Edom? Jacob's brother. Okay. Verse thirteen. Three transgressions of Ammonites. Okay. And then verse uh, uh, chapter two, verse one. For three transgressions of Moab. Okay. And you know what he's saying? Come on, preacher, preach on. They deserve it. Ipurasa <laughs> Next, you know, after this, the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book, the rest of the prophecy is for Israel. Look at what it says. For three transgressions of Judah. And, and verse 6, the three transgressions of Israel. You see that, Gentiles, you are not looking at your own heart. Let me tell you something. When you sin, okay, willfully, Willfully, rebelliously, God views that sin much more greater than if a Gentile would have sinned. It's very, very dangerous. Because whom to whom much is given, much will be required. You know about God, right? You know about His covenant and the rest of the chapter. And you know what it says in Amos chapter 3? You only have I known... These fellows, all the other peoples, I never had any covenantal relationship with them, but you, I had a covenantal relationship. Now, what are you doing? Instead of judging your own heart, you have become so condescending toward others. And you have become hard. You know, the way I gauge myself, if children come to me, then I know I am tender hearted. Because that is a litmus test even in my own house. Papa, please, I, we, do, we don't want to come to you. Why? Because you scold. Be patient, be kind, be gentle. Because girls are more sensitive, Baba. Because we, we, in our home, we were only boys. Okay? We kicked each other and parents would say anything. We would. We had to be like that. 
But girls, you have to be very careful. Abigail, why did you do that? Why are you shouting at me? <laughs> that is shouting. <laughs> because we never knew. That is how we were spoken to when we were growing up. That is the way of, because we are all boys. See, when children want to come to you and children want to run away, that is when you know whether you are tender hearted or not. If children look at you and turn the other way, then you know. So, because you cannot hide from children, you know that? I have seen that because you know what? Uh, after coming to GTC, pastor put me in all ministry. He put me in Sunday school ministry, youth ministry, uh, pulpit ministry, uh, what is that ministry? Uh, worship ministry, every ministry, cleaning ministry, all ministry. Okay. So, one of the things I have learned, I should speak to the lambs, I should tend the sheep, feed the sheep. I should feed the lambs. I should not tend them. I should only feed them. You come to GTC, GTLC, you will see a different picture of me. Completely. Because I have to be tender. Guys throwing tantrums. I have to beat myself. And love them. You see? You see, that is how you know. When children get attracted to you, that is how, because you know, children wanted to come to Jesus. <laughs> that is how, you know, it, it, that is, there's an attraction. Children wanted to come to Jesus. What did the disciples do? Get away. Go away. They had this hard attitude. Get out. Children, chinnapilal, elpo. Hard attitude. You see pastor's uh, WhatsApp picture. Not the one which you see. There's another picture. I know. That is what should be our aim in life, you see, where children can come to you, teenagers can come to you, can teenagers come to us and tell about their problems, abo, waste fellow, useless fellow, all fellow, senseless fellow, they will run away, no wonder they are running away from your life, think about it, okay, so, hard heartedness, judgmental attitude, we forget that, And therefore, you see, why don't we have strength in the battle? You know what they sang during battle? Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles chapter twenty verse twenty-one. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter twenty verse twenty-one. Quickly. Second Chronicles chapter twenty verse twenty-one. Yes, Peter, don't be ashamed. And they arose early in the morning. And they went forth to the wilderness of Tekoa where Amos was preaching from. Yeah. And as they went forth, and they, as they went forth, stood and said, uh huh. Uh huh. This is 2020, right? I'm talking 2021. 2021. When we had consulted with the people, uh huh. He appointed singers unto the Lord. And they appointed singers unto the Lord. And they should praise the beauty of holiness. And they should praise the beauty of holiness. And then say, as they went out before the That is how they won the battle. What were they confessing? The mercy of the Lord endures forever. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You see, we do not have boldness to enter into the throne room of grace to obtain mercy because we are not merciful. You're not kind-hearted, tender-hearted. Psalm 136. What is it? 
all the verses for the mercy of the Lord endures forever. For the verse mercy of the Lord endures forever. For the mercy of the Lord endures. Every words is a mercy. It's 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 a that's exactly the psalm that they were singing, by the way. What were they singing? The mercy of God endures forever because they were a set of people who were baptized with the mercy of God. They had no animosity towards anybody. They had absolute forgiveness in their hearts towards others and therefore they had assurance in battle. They did not quit. Okay. Let's go. Next next verse. Don't forget. Next Let's go, turn back to uh, Psalm 78. A few, a couple of more things and then we can possibly stop. Quickly. <clears throat> Psalm 78. Uh, that is where the PowerPoint comes into. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 17. Uh huh. Oh, second thing they rebelled. What did they do? They forgot. They, they, for, they, for, they, 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 they did not keep the covenant. They forgot his works. Third thing, they rebelled. Who is this they? What was I referring to? Seventy-eight verse nine. Ephraim. That's the point here. They, 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 they. Okay, that is the reason why I said this is not just Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim. It is essentially the symbol of Israel itself, the firstborn. Israel is the firstborn. That's what he says, right? Israel is my firstborn. Let him go. Okay, so they rebelled against his authority. Rebelling is always against his authority. How do you rebel against God's authority? You rebel in, you see, rebellion is very subtle. Okay, remember that story. Um, a servant, a, a son, a father had two sons. First son, he said, do this. He said, I will not do. Second son, he said, do this. He says, okay, I will do. But did he do it? No, he did not. But the first fellow changed his mind and did it. And then Jesus asked this question, who was more, who was more obedient? The first one or the second one? Now see, this, this uh, let me tell you, rebellion is tested in little things, not in big things. Where is it tested? Little things. Small, 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 little, little things. If you are not obedient in little things, you will not be obedient in big things. Okay, when you are rebellious in little things, you will be rebellious in, in, in big things. You know, for example, you know, this context, First Samuel chapter 15 verse 23, you know, we know that was very well. Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft and, and uh, in, uh, stubbornness is iniquity as idolatry. And he says, and he asks this question, have you obeyed the commandments of the Lord? And what does uh, Saul say? Yes. Little thing I left. What is the little thing? Oh, just Agagunarleshna and the best of the flock to sacrifice I left. Small, small things are left. And you know what he's calling that? He's calling that what? What is it calling? Rebellion. You see, let me tell you something. Let's say you, you want to, you have to pay 5,000 rupees as tax. 5,000, how much? Nothing. No? 5,000 is rupees is income, your income tax. You will say, I'll show my income. I'll pay only 3,500. 3,500. Okay. Are you 1500? 1500, I'm better than that uh, contractor who's messing up. I'm only not paying 1500 rupees. That contractor is not, he's not even showing his income. He's actually defrauding the government of crores of rupees. I'm better than the contractor. You go to the contractor and he'll say, contractor, what about you? You know, I'm the only person, I'm better than the mafia fellow. Mafia fellow is murdering. I don't murder, I just only steal from the government. 
You go to the master for You're murdering. I'm only killing people who deserve it. I'm making them an offer they can't refuse. Like Don Corleone. <laughs> you see? And they deserve to die. But I am good to my mother. I am better than Hitler. And when you go to Hitler, why did you do it? I don't know. I don't know. That's what exactly what Adolf, Adolf Eichmann, when they asked him, how come you did it? I don't know. They made me do it. You know what? Sin is so deceptive. You don't understand and you don't realize that under, underneath a very small disobedience, there's a monster. That is the reason why, you know what God tells Cain? He says, Cain, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Sin is what? Crouching. Crouching at la? Sin is like this, right? Hides. Have you seen National Geographic? Hides. Ante, it is telling the animal, I am not here. <laughs> the animal is nicely grazing and it's now it's smelling. That smells like a lion. I am not here. That is what sin is. Sin is a monster which is there right underneath something so very innocent. You look at Cain. Are Cain, you are going to murder. What are you talking, bro? We are We were friends from childhood. Why will I murder him? You don't understand Cain. Because Cain is your average fellow. Underneath that crowd, all that, whatever, that veneer of religiosity, there is a, a Cain or there is a lion. Which is, which is, which is about to burst. And you know what God says after he murders? Who's crying out? Who's crying out? The blood of your brother is crying out. In other words, the moment you sin, it will cry out. It will cry out. Sin has a voice. It is not that you put a stone into the ocean and it is going into the depths of the ocean and nobody knows. No. It will be found out. It will cry out. Especially if you sin against somebody else. Sin cries out. Remember? Deuteronomy? The year of Jubilee is coming. What should you do? Forgive all the debts of your brother. But you say, the year of Jubilee is coming. If I give this fellow Appu, I will not get it back. And what do you do? You tighten your fist against your brother. And what will your brother do? He will cry out. Turn to James. Turn to James, please. James chapter 5. Are you there? Verses 1, chapters 5, verses 1, 1 to, yeah, yeah, 1 to, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, come, yes, 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 dad, lead. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And verse 4, very important. They are crying out against you. In other words, every cheating, every lying, when you sin, it is crying out. You cannot hide it. Every small rebellion, every small sin is actually what? Crying out. You can't hide it. You understand that? Everybody? So don't take sin sin lightly. I mean, you need to understand, first you sin, then the sin takes you. That's what it says. It's sin is like crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you. Devour, exactly. Have you. But you should master it. You know what it means? Uh, somebody said, made this powerful statement. I think it's uh, Eli Wiesel or, or, or I think C.S. Lewis who said this. He said, you know what? First, the Nazis killed the Jews because they hated them. And then they hated them and therefore they killed the Jews. They killed the Jews because they hated them and they hated them because they killed them. First you sin <laughs> and then sin has you. That's exactly what God is telling this, this guy. You are looking at it in a small microcosm. I'm looking at it. It is witchcraft. And he's saying, Baba, I put all the witches out of the out of Israel. What are you talking about witchcraft? You know what, what happens to that guy? Ultimately, you know where he ends up? He ends up in the hole of a witch. Did you ever think? See, you think gossip is a problem? You first, you gossip and then you will be gossiped about. You steal from somebody, somebody will steal from you. That is the reason why it says there is no rest for the wicked. Never. They are always scared. That is the reason why it says the wicked flee when no man is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You need to understand. Small, 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 small things you do not obey. It is called what? Rebellion. Okay. That is the reason why you don't have strength. You give up. Maybe we will continue the next time. I have so many other things to say. Okay. We will continue uh, the next time. It's 8.40 already. Maybe this this one last, one last, one last. Okay. The next thing they did, they, they tempted him. Okay. It's the next verse. It says, they tempted him. Okay. They tempted him. What does tempting him mean? What is borderline sin? Can I do it? Like yesterday, pastor sent that uh, Spurgeon, uh, Spurgeon devotion, right? Uh, Christian life is like a garden. Garden has what? What? It's got, it's got walls. What is walls? To protect you from the world. But what do many, many believers say? How much I can walk on the border and still be a part of the garden? You see? Borderline. And that's exactly what they come and ask me. Sir, what is the minimum mark I should get so that I can pass? Don't take my course. What is the minimum? Okay. Girls will come and do a song and dance also. No. See? No. This is what I said. What is the borderline? I'm there at the border. What is the cutoff? <laughs> what is the cutoff limit? 
there is no cutoff. There, you are either a friend of the world and an enemy with God. Or an enemy of the world and a friend of God. You are not nothing in the middle, in between. Second Kings chapter 17, 17 verse 33. Second Kings chapter 17 verse 33 and we will stop. Second Kings chapter 17 verse 33. They fear the Lord. They serve their own gods. So that is borderline. You see that? They feared God and they served their own gods. Why? Because something was happening to them. Are what should be the minimum thing that we need to do so that God will not punish us? We can keep God happy and we can serve our own gods. Okay. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. And that is unfortunately the testimony of so many Christians. And that is the reason why, you know what, they like Ephraim, they quit and turn back during the time of battle. Let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Father, for teaching us so many things from your word, Lord. Father, we just want to pray, Father, that, Lord, we will not be like the children of Israel, O oh Lord. Who rebelled constantly in spite of you showing them mercy, kindness after kindness. They rebelled against you more and more and more. They tested you and tempted you. And they never believed in you. I pray, Father, that Lord, that we will walk that straight and narrow path. Grant us grace, O Lord. The battle is already here, O Lord. We are, we are all in a battle. And some of us are just giving up. We're just turning our backs. We're not standing firm. But Lord, we want to be a set of people who will be counted, O Lord, in your kingdom. That we will walk with you and they will fulfill your covenant in our lives. Because Lord, we not only worship a God who can save us, we also worship a God who can keep us. Because we are kept by the power of God. Enable us never to shorten your hand in our lives because of our unbelief. Grant us grace to that and we pray. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.